there. Just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast or even watch it on YouTube. I would love to hear what you think. I would love to get any suggestions and understand what kind of content you're looking forward to hearing more about. So please rate, please comment, please subscribe. And if you leave a review for the podcast, you'll get a freebie for efficient goal setting. So make sure to do that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi there. Just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast or even watch it on YouTube. I would love to hear what you think. I would love to get any suggestions and understand what kind of content you're looking forward to to hearing more about. So please rate, please comment, please subscribe. And if you leave a review for the podcast, you'll get a freebie for efficient goal setting. So make sure to do that. Welcome to the podcast, She is Fab, where we discuss all things fab, women empowerment, and life coaching. My name is Evelyn, also known as the Fab Chief Desk, and I am a mindset transformation coach. Welcome to another episode of the She is Fab podcast. I am Evelyn, your host, Mindset Transformation Coach, and I am joined by Kyle Spirides. He is from Soul Gazing Photography, which aims to capture the essence of the soul through captivating portraits that tell a story. He primarily works in corporate and the commercial arena, and focuses on making your brand stand out from competitors through powerful visuals that work cohesively to reflect your brand identity. He has also had his heart repaired many times over and is inspired to help others realize the power of tuning into their own heart messages. Welcome, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Evelyn. 
And I'm glad to have you. So tell us a little more about you, Cal. Obviously, we had a bit of, little intro regarding your business, but also mentioned about your heart being repaired several times. So just give us an overview. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, like you said, pretty perfectly. Um, I've got my own business and I've had that for about six years and I really try and capture the essence and the soul um, of each person. Um, and, and that started very early on with people uh, like like my grandfather. And, you know, I, I lived with my grandparents for many years, so I was trying to capture their portraits, capture their essence, and, and they're a generation that, that's not as photographed as our generation. <laughs> you know, so... So for them, they they would get um, they would get get the photo. I get the photographs ready and you know, start taking some images. And they um, they oh God, Carl, we're gonna get some more images now. We're gonna get some more photos. So yeah, that was that was a joy. Um, you know, because I was I was kind of tearing down the barriers and the walls uh, in those portraits with my grandparents, with my younger cousin cousins, with, with my whole family. So it actually turned out to be. Um, pretty much a family project um, and all the portraits were around the family house so that was kind of the one rule to play off that they all had to be in this area and yeah I would just sit with people and I'd sit with them for as long as it took until I felt like I captured their soul captured their essence so you know with my grandfather um, and that portrait you know it, it was very what it didn't take long until he was looking out over his veranda and you know he's an architect he's got his beret on he's 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 an observer so he was kind of looking out and he was observing you know the 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 view and things like that so you know i i just believe that if you talk to someone long enough they're just going to eventually go to a place where they forget the camera's there and they go internal they go into themselves and they show for a split second like their true essence, who like who they are, their soul. You know, they show part of their soul, which I think is a real gift to capture. Yeah, I did take a look at the photography on your social media, and it's a very beautiful. I could imagine it can be a difficult task to one make your subject comfortable to show that vulnerability, that that moment, and also you as a photographer to capture that moment of vulnerability. Yeah, you have to be really comfortable around people. And I, I guess, um, look, that probably goes back to, you know, you, you're asking me to tell, tell more about myself. I, I grew up in a in a pub, you know, very early on um, uh, in South Africa, Johannesburg. So my my mother was a um, like an international model. And so she was getting contracts all around the world. And, you know, so she would go over to, say, Japan, and then they would extend her contract. So I pretty much was raised by my my grandmother, my South African granny, um, and you know, and so they had a pub, and you know, there was a lot safer uh, in South Africa to raise me in the pub um, and have me around the pub. So I was there. I had my own little my, my little stool. I had my own little TV, um, you know, and, and and apparently there's stories of of me uh, yelling for ice cream. From my granny, you know, so so I'd, I'd go, granny, ice cream, you know. So, <laughs> and then when this one, this one, um, this one weekend, this patron came over and said to me, um, you know, Kyle, you, you can't scream for your granny. She's 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 behind there working, working like a dog, you know. And I went, if I call my granny, she will come. <laughs> so I was very 
confident. You know, I was very, um, I guess, which was, I guess, it ended up being a good thing. You know, I was surrounded by adults. You know, like a like a two like a yeah like one to two year old kid. Like you know, as I was growing up, were like was surrounded by adults. You know, so mm-hmm. um, I think that that unconsciously helped me to be around adults. In my, keeping that in mind, when I came to South Africa to Australia when I was two and a half, I was introduced to my stepfather's uh, fa- family, and you know that that portrait I was saying that's my stepfather's father. So I came into the house with my with my who were going to become my step grandparents, um, and I was walking up the stairs, and my grandmother looked at me, and she said she had this overwhelming feeling from God that she was going to be important in my life. She said she just saw this like lost look in my eyes, like as I was looking around at all these Australians, going, "Who are these people? These aren't this is my South African family." And mm-hmm. yeah, she she had that feeling. She said she still says it today when I give her a call. She's um she's eighty nine now, but yeah. So and. In fact, she was very important in my life. Yeah, so what I'm hearing so far, you're very close uh, to your grandparents. I mean, like you said, they they raised you. So I can imagine that in raising you, uh, that bond just deepened. Were your grandparents the one who inspired you to go into photography, specifically focusing on capturing the soul, or was something else that inspired you? Um. I don't know if they were what inspired me. I, th- I think I was looking for beauty in everything. So I was just taking photographs of like, you know, a wall with like some light hitting it. And, and then I was, I, I didn't know what was driving me, but there was some sort of internal drive. They definitely created the space. You know what I mean? So they, they didn't say, you know, you have to go and be a lawyer or a doctor or a, um, you know, someone in corporate finance, you know, they just said, you know, you find out what you want to do because if you enjoy it, you'll do that forever. And my grandfather, many talks with him, he was an architect because he loved drawing. You know, he he he, he loved drawing and he said, he said to me one day, he goes, um, Kyle, I haven't worked a day in my life, you know. And, and you know, this, here's this like nearly 90-year-old man with this big smile on his face saying he hasn't worked a day in his life, you know. And so for him, he just looked at architect as an extension of his love for drawing. Gotcha. Now, obviously you have your own business. So I have to ask, you know, because sometimes when you think of photography, it can start as a hobby. Was it a hobby for you originally and then you transitioned to a business or was it your intent to always have a photography business? Uh, to be honest, Evelyn, I was just uncovering what that's, uh, what, what, what that what that keenness was, you know. So um, the first I remember noticing taking photographs is when I went over to Ireland um, and I was on the west coast of Ireland and I was staying with my stepfather because my stepfather was in Ireland at this time. And so, you know, there'd be surfers every now and then and so every time there were surfers like on this west coast of Ireland, you know, there was a castle there and there'd be these two surf breaks, Eski right, Eski left. Um, and the town, I think only had like, you know, 20, 30 people. So there wasn't much to do besides, you know, take photographs when you're there. So that's where I started taking photographs, you know, and I was, you know, walking through paddocks and, and yeah, just, just enjoying taking photographs. And 
the first seed was probably my stepfather saying, you know, do you want to, you know, why don't you do this as a career? And I, and I kind of laughed at him like, what do you mean? Like you can't do photography as a career. And then he was like, he goes, but what about your uncle? And then, then he, then I went, wait a minute, you know, my uncle is a very successful uh, Australian photographer. So yeah, so, so I ended up coming back to Australia, um, chatting to him. Then I went and studied at the same um, place that he studied at 20 years earlier. I did a diploma of photo imaging. Um, and then I worked for him, you know, I assisted him and he was on big jobs with, um, you know, like the, the national bank in, in our country, um, like big insurance providers, the Wallabies, you know, the, the, the Australian rugby team. So he was on these big jobs and I was there as like one of the assistants. So I was able to see how everything went. Um, the biggest thing was probably seeing the client engagement and interaction, um, how to manage the project, the, the, you know, you've got, like I guess the production side of it, you've got, you know, eight people, eight staff and, and you're interacting with all of their staff and you're trying to get this project done and you're waiting on people and you've got certain times that you're allowed and, um, you know, things that obviously always don't, don't go to plan or what, what you prepared. So, yeah, so that, that was very, that was very good scene. Probably the, the top echelon of commercial photography, um, in action. Mm-hmm. So are you famous in some way because you had a model mother and then you have an <laughs> uncle who's uh, an amazing photographer? So does that make you famous? <laughs> well, I'm on Evelyn's show right now, so I think I'm pretty famous right now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that photo that, that you have yeah. back there, is that is that your work as well? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's my grandfather. Um, yeah. I'm pretty pretty proud of that portrait. Yeah. Okay. So for those of you that are listening, if you're not, you know, watching YouTube, go to YouTube. You'll be able to see the photo that uh, we're discussing and referencing. And obviously, we'll list all of his social media and how to connect them so you can check out his beautiful photography. Thanks, Evelyn. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So tell us about uh, any challenges you might have faced in transitioning to now being an entrepreneur. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I like to think business um, is just interplayed with life, you know, and, and, and as you're going in, along in life and, and different relationships and different challenges, you know, what you want to do still comes out, you know. So for me, you know, I had a big um like health problem about uh, two months after I finished school and that kind of turned everything upside down because, you know, I, I had ideas of playing rugby and, you know, you, you use the word famous there and becoming a famous rugby player, you know, or, or playing for a, a national team and, 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 and like really, really succeeding in that, in that world. And yeah, the, the, the health implications I had really put a dent in that. Um, and there was even a time where I was, I spent about six weeks in hospital. Um, but it was touch and go whether I was going to survive like every day. So my cousin came in with a whole list of different things that I could study, you know. So she came in one day and she like you know, took a, like asked me like what I might like studying. My grandmother asked me as well. And then she brought this in and she, asked me, okay, you know, where do you want to apply? Because when you get out of here, you know, you've got to go somewhere. And 
at that stage I had I I had successfully healed myself. Like I I'd gotten rid of um what was gonna take me out, but I still had to um consider multiple surgeries and um you know, I had to fix what was going on. So, yeah, it was nice to have that in terms of your career, in terms of where you're going to go, that sort of beacon pulling you forward into your future. And I think I, I still I still think of that today, you know, like to have something in the future that's pulling you forward, um, especially when you're going through hard times, I think is really important. So, you know, that was probably the start of trying to work out where I was going to go. And then, you know, eventually – Ending up a couple of years later, I went. I was in Ireland, and then, and then I was taking photographs, and then, and then I started into photography. And then from that, yeah, you just learn quickly that you really need to understand the business side of things, you know, because um, which really does come down pretty simply to you know contacts and relationships um, and connections, you know. So for anyone out there, like to not overwhelm, like you know, just look at that, you know. Um, there's 8 billion people on this earth, you know, how many, how many p- people can you impact? You know, there's definitely lots of people. So, um, so yeah, so the entrepreneurial, the challenges probably are trying to find your core message, your identity, who you are and trying to deliver that, connect that. Do you know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. what I do for brands and trying to work that out for myself um, is interesting as I've been going through transition lately into a different sort of, career scape sort of area Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so uh when i first started doing my research on you (laughs) and you know my job as a host (laughs) yeah 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 i noticed that you have you know two different profiles right you have your photos and then you have one where really you're talking to an audience uh about broader messages right messages more related towards living a better life mindset health what have you um, I'm curious yeah. as to why they're separate and not tied together because I feel like your photography and what you're capturing there is a portal that relates to the message that you're putting out there. Good, good observation. I like this. this is a bit of a, a bit of a coaching session from Evelyn. I like it. Um, <laughs> no, no, very good. And I, and and it's all. This is guys at home. This is why it's always good to get someone else's viewpoint and someone else to observe and 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 because when you're so in, into it. Um, I found, you know, like that, that people that I was resourcing from, and that's what I had in my grandparents. I always had people that I could resource from and ask questions and say, you know, what do you think in this situation? Um, you know, I, w- I would go into their, their room every morning and, and um, evening and chat to them for hours on end and just be able to get, you know, four different eyes on, on, on my, my problems, the decisions I was about to make. Some of them were pretty serious decisions, like cutting family members out of my life that were kind of sucking me down so so you know getting other people's viewpoint on, on what you're doing is is so 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 invaluable like so valuable it's just just you know it, it's so important to you so for me my, my um dance around that question my my main <laughs> thing <laughs> uh with the photography is you know that's 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 my, my my business you know that's my um that's that's like very much for a different audience, you know, my clients. And now mm-hmm. I do mix that in, say, into the stories, into different sort of things. And I do kind of cross-pollinate. Um, so I might put up a, like a portrait that I've taken that represents what I'm trying to say on my Carl Spreedy's account. And then 
I'll put something up. I'll put the, the, the videos up on the stories of the Soul Game Photography account. So I'm happy to interplay it in that setting, but I just don't want to mm-hmm. dilute the water too much because I know that that photography image of me as a photographer that helps clients quickly get a thing. Okay, great. I need some images for my products. I need some images of me and my products. I need some images, you know, who are you? What's your work? Bang, bang, bang. And I was just sitting with someone a couple of days ago and I was just able to show some photo examples and they made a decision pretty quickly. So, so that was good. With the Carlos Breedys, it's, 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 it's in alignment with the book that, 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 uh, that I'm bringing out. Um, and the book's called Decide Your Destiny. And, and that, that came from sitting down, um, and asking myself the question, you know, look, you know, I faced, faced death. I've faced, you know, I've, I've held my grandfather's hand, um, as he's passed from this earth. Um, mm. you know, I've, I've done quite a few things. I've been through quite a few challenges. I just want to find out what I'm supposed to be doing here on this earth. You know, I just want to find out what I, I just want to align myself with my purpose on this earth and do the work that mm-hmm. I'm, I've been sent here to do, you know, so I just sat in meditation or prayer or <laughs> whatever anybody wants to call it for that floats their boat. But for me, I just sat there and I just, you know, I just sat quietly for a good while and just trying to source what that was. And then this book came to me, you know, and so I just started writing and I was overcoming a health, another health challenge. I was running every morning and then I was writing and then I was running and then I was writing. So every time I ran, it kind of, you know, got everything out of my head. And the main message of it, decide your destiny that came from my grandfather you know years earlier i was sitting on the couch in his lounge room he just turned to me and he had this big boyish smile and you know someone's inside his face and he just said decide your destiny and i went what you know he said decide your destiny and you know it was was, we were just sitting in the lounge room quietly so it was very Mm -hmm. i found it very random i said "What what do you mean he goes make sure in your life kyle that you decide your destiny so that's where those decide your destiny daily doses come from is that you know, different sort of inspirations that I can take from my day, different ways that I could have gone and submitted to um, victimhood or, or you know, <laughs> put, you know, put the boots up or, you know, not, not tried harder and different sort of moments where I went, actually, let me decide what's, what the outcome is here. Let me take control mm-hmm. of my life a little bit more and take control of my life a little bit more. And each step, each time you do that, it's, it's empowering. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really where it comes from, you know, and then in that, in the, in the book and, and with that whole, I guess, message, you know, I, I had um, like lots of health implications with my heart. So, you know, that's the heart, the soul, um, communicating that, you know, obviously mindset, figuring out what your purpose is, you know, what God or, or, or wisdom or, or a higher power means to you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then kind of connecting with the youth, you know, like trying to, realize that that's a very touchy time where you can go either way. And for me, for many years, um, you know, I went through a real hard time um, or a real challenging time that created opportunities for me to change my life. But but mm-hmm. in that period of time, I really could have gone either way. You know, I was getting into fights inside of school, outside of school. I was, yeah, it wasn't going good. So, trying to connect all those things and, and, and realize, okay, there's lots of holes that we can plug in our society. You know, that's, I think no matter who is in or who's, who, who your guy is, it feels like as a community, we need to plug those holes. Yeah. Well, 
I know a little bit about your story from our previous interaction with the challenges that you face, you know, with your health. And and I want to touch on that. But before we segue to deeper dive on that, your book, yes. is it in transition of being written or is it already out for consumption? So it's had the first edits um, and it's and it's going through a second edit. And and I think that's where, where it's kind of getting a bit stalled. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, <laughs> I would love to say, uh, you know, that it's done, but, but it is on my website there. Um, and I'm setting up pre-orders. So at the moment, it's it's hopefully going to come out May, you know, like probably looking at those sorts of dates. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's just the editing process that's uh, that, that that's really lovely. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys heard it here. You know, obviously go check him out, check out his work, check out um, his photography, check out his site, and put your pre-orders in for the book. I mean, the title itself sounds very you know, empowering and, and like, I want to know more. Um, so segueing now to your health, tell us a little bit about some of those, those health challenges, because I'm, this is my assumption. I would think that somebody who has experienced challenges with their health has even more drive or will to share a positive message or create a positive impact in the world. Yes, I think you're right, Evelyn. Thank you. Um, yeah, in in every single heartbeat for me, you know, I, I really strive for that, and there's no no way that I'm perfect, and I and I do everything right, and but yeah, that that is definitely a um, big part of my intent, you know, and I think that's through my health, and then also through the environment my grandparents um, grew, raised me up in, you know, I uh, I had very challenging years beforehand, and then I was given, you know, obviously unconditional love. Um, and the space to really be me. So, you know, that, that that's that's definitely what helped me. And being with them during that time was very important. So, yeah, so the story starts about two months after I left school, you know. So I was very much into the gym at that stage, into rugby, and I was coming home from a late-night gym session and, you know, having my up-and-go, my, my little my little, like, little drink that had a bit of protein in it and walking home and, you know, sat on the couch and Independence Day was playing. So I went, oh, cool, you know, love a bit of aliens and a bit of fighter jets, you know, here we go, let's, let's, let's tuck in for the night. And all of a sudden I got really, really hot. So I took all my clothes off. I sat on the couch, stark naked, you know, I was, I was so hot. Then the split second, the next split second, I got freezing, like like shivering, and mm. I put everything back on. So I just had these huge temperature changes. That was the first sign. Um, went to bed uh, next next night. Woke up in the middle of the night. Walked to the fridge to get some ice, and I collapsed. So I just fell onto the tiles onto the floor, but I, I wasn't passed out. I just collapsed and I was lying there consciously, but I just couldn't physically lift my body up. Mm. So I went to the doctor, um, and the doctor said, "Look, I think you've got gastro. Take these tablets. Um, you should be fine." Went home, took the tablets. And then I threw the tablet straight up. And, you know, I think that's when I really knew, all right, I'm not, you know, something's not right here. And then for a while, <laughs> excuse the uh, the explicitness, but, I, but it was coming from both ends. You know, so it was coming mm-hmm. out both ends nonstop. Um, didn't know which way to go, Evelyn. And so it was, it was you know, it was just, it was not good for, for, for quite a few days. And, and I was staying, you know, it was a rare moment where I was staying with, um, 
my mother because she had my South African grandmother over and different sort of family and my brother and we were all staying together um, for a period of time and I kept saying I need to go to hospital, I need to go to hospital. And then eventually they took me down to my, my, my grandmother, my Australian grandmother, you know, the, 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 parent, the grandparents that became my parents. She took me up to my uncle who's a chiropractor, um, but has a lot of like understanding of viruses and like he's studied, he's learned in, in a lot of different areas in health. And he just, I was walking down the hallway and he looked at me and he said, this guy's got a virus. Like, you know, you need to take him to the doctor. If the doctor doesn't take him to the hospital, you take him to the hospital because he's like violently ill. So he took me to a doctor and the doctor saw me. And this is a doctor that I've had for many, many years, Evelyn. And he, He's this lovely Chinese doctor. He's you know, he spent years in, in hospitals learning, um, you know, like 10 years earlier, he spent a lot of his time in the hospital and, and now now he was helping people like in his uh, practice. And he said, you know, 10 years earlier when I was in the hospital learning, you know, uh, and, and training, uh, there, there's this thing that I was taught and there's these dots on the ends of your fingers. And he said, what these dots mean is that there's an infection on your heart. And so I went, okay. You know, and then I was so sick at this time. So my peripheral vision was kind of clouded. It was kind of like I had a huge vignette around me. So I was, I was so ill that I wasn't really emotionally taking everything. You know, I was just going, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So he he put me in an ambulance and they rushed me off to the hospital. And then when I was in the hospital, I said, family, I said, I can't excrete. You know, I, I can't pee or poo. Um, you know, and so... And it was only a few days before where, where everything was coming out. So I was like, I just can't, you know, what's going on? And so they got the nurse over and the nurse looked at my paperwork and said, what the hell are you doing here? You're supposed to go to ICU. The reason you can't, can't excrete is because your organs are shutting down. And then they rushed me to ICU. The cardiologist um, put a pipe down my throat. Um, like I said, we're about to put a pipe down your throat um, and we're going to put you to sleep. And like I said, I was so out of it. So I was like, oh, okay, yep, yeah, sure, no worries. Um, and they put me to sleep. And this is where the the, the story t- uh, takes a turn <laughs> for for everyone at home um, in terms of what what you know what they're comfortable with. But for me, this is what happened, and you know, this is my truth. So I, uh, my mother called my stepfather in Ireland, and my stepfather, he, you know, was very integral in my life, and he really cared about me. Um, and he was also a chiropractor, but he was like learned in kinesiology and, and, and different sort of things. And, you know, I think we're all seeking something, you know. So my mother was seeking an answer. What do we do? Because they said if we operate tonight, he most likely won't make it. If we don't operate, he most likely won't make it. It's 50-50 either way. You have to make the call, you know. But but regardless, even if we, if we don't, you know, like he, he could die. So she called my, my stepfather and he said, you know, she told him all the information and he said, look, you're over there. You've got all the information there. You, you know, you need to make the call. Um, personally, I would think he's too weak to operate on. Um, but at the end of the day, it's your call, you know. So so they didn't operate. Um, I woke up about a week later um, and my stepfather sat opposite me. So they'd flown him over and he was there and he said, look, Carl, this is the situation. You've got a three-centimeter bug eating a hole into your heart. Um, if we don't do anything about it, you're going to die. And he said, you can go down the medical route. This is all the paperwork. This is all the information. However, if you do this, 
what's going to happen is they're going to cut a part of your heart off um, and replace it with a metal attachment and you're going to have health implications the rest of your life. You know, and these are all the implications. This is how your health is going to be compromised. So, you know, I was 18 at the time and I just thought, wow, this is really happening, you know. Um, and then he said there's another option. And he said there's a thing called the alkaline diet. So basically what it is is you do a juice fast and you starve the body of all the all the um, sugars in the body. So you starve the bug, sorry, you starve the bug of all the sugars. So basically you're driving the bug out, you know, from the inside out. So that's the theory behind it. And, you know, I said, has it worked? He said, yes, it's worked with um, everyone I've helped. But he said, at the end of the day, it's your decision. You know, I just want you to be informed. I'm not telling you which way to go down. Um, I just want you to be informed. And for me, you know, I, all I knew at that, at that time was weights and protein, you know, like I, you know, my nutritional understanding wasn't extensive. So but I just thought, look, I trust you as a man. I trust my stepfather. Let's give this a go. So we went in and, you know, he handed me beetroot juice and I went to spit it out straight away. I went, oh, my God, have I made the right, have I made the right choice? This is disgusting. Um, mm-hmm. And, yes, yeah, so, so the, the program, you know, was was juices, salads, like no sugar, no carbohydrates, um, no protein. The amino acids were from the spinach and different you know things in the in in the greens. So yeah, it was it was juices and salads, and then vitamins. My grandmother gave me tapes, so I was listening to lots of tapes um, about valleys, you know, peaks and valleys. That's all I remember. <laughs> and then you know, and then I was doing visualizations over my heart, you know, saying heal, heal. So I was doing all these things that I was very uncomfortable about, um, as anyone would be who hasn't done any of this stuff before, you know. So mm-hmm. I thought looking after myself was, you know, picking up weights. So, so I was doing all these things that were totally out of my comfort zone. Um, and I had a few interesting experiences, you know. First, the cardiologist came in um, and said, "All right, we're going to operate." And we said, "Well, like, you know, let us know what the options are because we don't want to just cut it off." And, and he goes, "There's no option. This is the only way it can be done." And so great, you know, so my stepfather questioned and questioned and said, look, just tell us what size the bug has to get to until it's like, like not a problem. And he wouldn't give it to us, but he kept pushing, pushing. And eventually he said, look, if it gets to under 0.5 centimeters, it's a non-issue. And so we were like, oh, great, real great. And then he walked out and a half and a puff out of the room. And, and so we were like, okay, look, we've got to get to 0.5 centimeters. We've got a goal, you know, so we kept going, kept doing just everything. And for me, I didn't realize what was going on, but because I was trying to heal myself whilst I was being, uh, how do I say, I guess, accommodated in the hospital, it was obviously upsetting a lot of people. Um, probably 70, 80% of my family were thinking, what am I doing? You know, like I'm an idiot. What, what do you think I'm doing? And then more importantly, the nurses, you know, they, they were they were grabbing my, you know, one day I was coming back and they were grabbing my, um, from toilet and they'll grab my vitamins and they said we're going to throw this in the bin and I went what are you doing uh, I was like bloody grabbing my vitamin bag back and you know and they were saying you know like you know, you're not listening to prof you're not listening to prof so so obviously they they felt um, I guess hurt or they felt like they knew the the, the, the right way um, mm-hmm. the problem was they felt like they, they knew the only way um, so there was a lot of that confrontation, which was very new to me because I grew up very naive. You know, every doctor's good, every policeman's good, every fireman's good, you know. And so, so I realized, okay, there's obviously different egos at play and there's different, 
you know offense that you're, you're, you're you could be causing to people so so yeah so i um i kept doing it and then three weeks later he came and he said oh we're gonna operate and we went oh whoa hold the bus what's the what's the what's the digits doc you know what what, what are the numbers what's going on you know so he gave mm-hmm. us the paperwork and everything and he said and we kept asking all right so what's the bug size at like you know as we we're looking through um and eventually again it took a while and eventually he said look it's at 0.2 centimeters so me and Ward went, yeah, yeah. You know, we were like, we high-fired. We were like, oh, my God, you know, we did it. Like, this thing actually works. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because I believed in him, but I didn't necessarily believe that it could work. Like, I was like, I'm going to do this and believe that it's going to work as much as I can, but I don't know. So mm-hmm. we were cheering. We went, yeah, yeah, you know. And um, the doctor walked out, like, this time, like, cursing, you know. So he was really upset. And anyway, so I stayed in the hospital a little bit while longer. And then I, I, I went to leave, and I was being pushed out in a, a wheelchair. And the register, which is the guy um, who communicates with me um, from from the doctor, and he would see me obviously a lot. Uh, he was this lovely Somalian dude, and me and him just got along. We, we, we became great buds. And he, I was leaving, and he just he grabbed my shoulder, and I turned to him, and I was like, "Oh, see, you, man, it's been great to you know, catch up with you." He said, "Look, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just here to deliver a message." I went, okay, well, you know, shoot. He said, "Look." The prof wants you to know that your lungs are going to be full of blood. You're going to choke to death in your sleep and you're going to die, you know, within about two months of leaving the hospital. And so I just started crying. Like I was just like, and the, the family member that was pushing me in the wheelchair, I just like waved. I was like, get me, get me the hell out of here. So that was a very intense experience. And then you know, I came out and I was hugging everyone and I was feeling the sun for the first time. And I like, it was just, it was like, you know, you, you, you embrace every little second of life once you go through that. And then, but the, the, the thing was, Evelyn, is I healed, healed my heart. So I got rid of the bug naturally, but mm-hmm. my heart valve wasn't closing properly. So in order for my heart valve to close properly, um, I had to re- either replace it or repair the valve. And obviously, like before with the metal attachments, I didn't want any replacement. I wanted to try and get a repair. So I went to a new cardiologist, told him about our experience, told him, and he said, look, I play golf with that guy. On the weekends, you know, like I don't want to hear anything bad about him. And then my family started to arc up and I just said, everyone out, everyone out of the room, you know, and I just needed one good relationship with one cardiologist. I was like, I, you know, I just need one. I told him what we did, healed, healed the heart. And he goes, oh, look, I don't necessarily believe it. I went, okay, whatever, you know, what can we do now? Like let's start taking some steps forward, you know, and he said, look, your heart's actually um, a little bit better, Um I went from a 0% chance of repairing my valve to a 30% chance. So I came back to him every three months, every three months. The percentage kept getting higher and higher. And eventually 12 months after surgery, he said, um, look, you've got a 70% chance of repairing your valve. He said he believes the trauma from from the from the bug had, had alleviated and I had a bit more of a chance of repairing my valve. And so – you know, in the meantime, I was also contacting people in Germany, asking them about stem cell research. Stem cell research hadn't got to the point yet where they could repair valves because, um, you know, your valves like your knee, it's constantly being used. Um, so I went, you know, called my stepfather in Ireland. I said, you know, what do we do? And he said, what do you want to do? I said, look, I think it's time to operate. He said, well, you know, then, then go ahead for it. So then I went in and I had two people taking me, my grandparents, um, they were the only people that knew the time and everything because I just wanted to keep it very, you know, very minimal. Like how I was in the hospital on that whole experience was like a very kind of Buddhist way of living in terms of 
minimalizing like very minimal things you would do um you know eating very like clean and just kind of less relationships that could be i guess emotionally like impact me so i was very focused on on my end goal you know to repair my heart Mm -hmm. um and then i went into to surgery and um went into have the open heart surgery and so open heart surgery you're pretty much dead for about five hours cut your chest open, they cut your heart out of, your, out of your, your body um, and then they cut into your heart and then they have to repair, they have to do the repair work. And so I woke up screaming and this is how focused I was on, on, on repairing my heart. I woke up screaming and I was screaming, repair or replacement, repair or replacement. Oh, my and goodness. Yes, I was so focused on that and a family member came over and grabbed my hand and they said, Kyle, it was a repair, it was a repair. And I probably can't swear on here but I was going, you know, going, shit. I was just like, you know, I was cursing. I was losing because I was so happy, you know. So I, um, you know, I, I feel for those other people that were in the ICU that day, but I was so elated, you know, that that, that I could repair the valve and then um, that, the, that the repair worked. But mm-hmm. then, Evelyn, as, as you might know or might have heard, like, you know, anytime you do anything surgical or anytime you enter the body, you know, it's not necessarily a, a one, a one, one and done. So for me, the doctor came over and said, "Oh, look, you know, uh, we're going to have to keep you on this machine right now. You're in heart block." Um, I said, "What do you mean? What's heart block?" I was like, "I'm sure I, I knew everything, all the, the the things that could go wrong. Uh, what's this heart block thing?" He said, "Look, you know, it's it's rare, but sometimes when 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 they cut into the heart, um, they could nick the electro signals in the heart, and that tells the heart to pump blood into the heart and out." you know, so into the atrium, out of the ventrium. So those electro signals are naked to the human eye. So there's a possibility that they clipped one of those. Um, but we'll put this machine on you and by the end of the week, your heart should you know, get back into normal rhythm. And then, the, you know, at the end of the week, you went, okay, look, it seems like they most definitely clipped one of those. We're going to have to have another surgery and we're going to have to put a battery battery into your heart um, now. And so I was like, oh, crap. So, so I went and did that. That 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 surgery and that scar was a bit more tender. That it was quite painful. Um, and yes, so so I had that. And then six weeks later, I was going to go for my provisional license. So you know, I came through the whole surgery, everything. Um, my ward, my stepfather was still here, like kind of helping me. He got me into ocean pools as soon as I could, like move my body. I was like this robotic sort of thing. You know, every day you're having to like cross your arms and, and try and lift yourself up. So it's very interesting because it totally, totally impacts the way that you always lived. You know what I mean? So simple things, mm-hmm. getting up out of bed is a complete mission and it is super painful and I was trying to avoid as many painkillers as I could. So, so yeah, eventually six weeks later, I went. I was go- going to go for my license and I was feeling a bit bloated. The person I was with said, no, no, we're taking you to the, to the your cardiologist because we're not mucking around. And which I'm thankful for. And the, I went to the cardiologist and he did an echocardiogram and he said, Carl, you're hours away from dying. And I went, what? What do you mean? Like again, like this thing again? And he said, yeah, you know, you, your, um, you, your, your pericardium is filling up with blood and it's filled up with so much blood, you know, that your heart could pretty much explode. So I went, wow, how did this happen? He said, he goes, well, tell me how did it happen? Why didn't you see anyone? Why didn't you go and, yeah, you know, I went. I went to my doctor, then I went to the local hospital uh, down down where I was living, and he said, "I'm gonna." Yeah, he said, "Did they give you an echocardiogram?" I said, "No, they gave me an ECG." 
And so when I'm going to sue that place, you know, anyone with heart surgery, you give them an echocardiogram. And now the difference is echocardiogram is like an ultrasound. So it's mm-hmm. like an ultrasound for your heart so you can actually see inside. The ECG is where they put mm-hmm. the, the things on you and they kind of check your heart rate. And so, yeah, so for, so he was really upset. He rushed me over. They, they rushed me over. They put, um, I think it was vitamin A. I can't remember which one it was, but they put these, these two bags into me and they filled me up and they went, you know, because we were about to take a whole bunch of blood out of your body. And so I knew what the, the procedure was and I knew it was coming. So I was turning my face away and the surgeon, and I was awake for the surgery. And the surgeon said, um, are you right, Kyle? And I turned over and then I saw this like 20 centimeter sized needle that was about to go Ooh. to my body. I was like, Doc, can I get some more morphine up in here? And then they, she looked at the nurse and they went, oh, we've got to watch this guy, you know, like <laughs> got to put him on the list. He seems to be keen on the morphine. I was like, no, I'm just, you know, I need more morphine now. And so he put the needle into my chest um, and it went in to, to the pericardium, which is a wall that surrounds the heart, and he pulled out two liters of blood. So they, the nurse held up these two giant bags of blood. So, you know, you think about a two-liter two milk bottle. So that was, you know, that sort of another another health scare. And with with the heart, I mean, it's very, you know, like it's management, you know, it's really health management. Um, mm-hmm. At the start of 2020, you know, I I also, I, I had thing, a procedure that I had to consider with my heart, you know, so another another like surgery process and another another procedure after that and different ways I could go. Um, and I hadn't changed one number, which was my ejection fraction. Now, your ejection fraction basically measures how well your heart functions. And if you're around 20% and lower, it's pretty much touch and go. You know, you can't go on airplanes and you, you, know, you can die pretty easily once you get right low in the numbers. Normal people are around 55 to 65. And I had been sitting at 34 for years after my surgery, you know, for, you know, for seven years, eight years. So that was a number that I wanted to change. And I had a whole lot of people contact me and say, Carl, aren't you worried about you know, this virus? You know, like you've got pre-existing health conditions, like, you know, aren't you in a high category? And for me, I just flipped the script and I just went, well, it's time for me to bloody bolster my immune system as much as I can. I've done it before. I've healed myself. Let me go. And, and so I went running every morning, juicing, meditating, everything I could do, Vitamins, got all sorts of different vitamins for the heart, hawthorn, berry, pomegranate, um, CoQ10, ubiquinol. I got all these sorts of different things for the heart. And I was really focused on healing it um, like and trying to change that that number, you know, that number from 34% to try and get up closer to normal people's heart function. And so, you know, which is interesting because that's how well my heart was functioning, yet I was able to go for these runs and everything. I started off with, you know, a little little jog around the block and then eventually got up closer and closer. So about six months later or quite a few months later, um, I, had, I, had, I went in for the, the test and the electrosurgeon sat there and he said he was gobsmacked. He said, I don't know what to do with you. We're going to do these procedures. We're going to, you know, like we had all this lined up, but I don't know what to do. I said, what do you mean? He goes, your heart, one of the reasons obviously we're going to do the procedure was because your heart's in AF, atrial fibrillation. And most people's hearts don't enjoy AF. And AF is usually what happens in people that, that are older, you know, like your grandparents and everything. Um, it just means your heart's being out of rhythm. So he said, your heart 
is enjoying being out of rhythm. And this only happens within 5% of people straight after surgery. So I don't even know how the hell your heart's enjoying AF. Your heart's gotten stronger, um, you know, and your ejection fraction has gone up to, because he was looking at all the other numbers. And I said, what about my ejection fraction? He said, ejection fraction has gone up to 49%. And I was oh. just like stoked because I was like, that number, I've gone in, I've had that many echocardiograms, I've had that many procedures, and that number has just not changed. It's just, just been stubborn it's been a stubborn number um and yeah it changed so that that was like remarkable so for me it was another example of you know like you can look at someone like wim hof um who's who's another example of it you know how you can control your physiology how you control your health um so that's where through all that experience you know decide your destiny decide your health decide your future you know that's where it all comes into play um and that's why I guess I'm probably able to give so much energy back to it because for me, you know, there's no truth like the truth that you experience, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my story. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, there was a lot there. I yes. mean, yeah. everything that you had to go through at such a young age at that um not being certain that the doctor, that first doctor you you were interacting with was having your best interest at heart, you know, making this dietary change, having, you know, that virus that or that that bug, you know, diminish to a point where you're like, yes, we're successful victory. And then getting that bad news as you're leaving the hospital and then going through all these surgeries, like I'm amazed, like your resilience in dealing with this and reframing it for the positive and putting positive energy out there. It's, it's amazing. A lot of us that are healthy don't always count our blessings and we take that for granted. So like hearing this, hearing your story, I mean, again, I appreciate you sharing that and, and being brave to share that as well. Thank you, Evelyn. And I learned, I have to say, I learned a lot about medical procedures and the heart. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I didn't mean to be um, (laughs) educational, so specific, but I I think that's it's part of it. You know, and and that's the thing, like I was very healthy at that time in my life. Like I was very fit, Mm -hmm. you know, I was playing rugby Saturdays and Sundays. And that's why a lot of people ask the question, you know, how did you get the bug? And they Mm -hmm. went down eight different possibilities and they investigated the heck out of it they said look you just got one one in a billion chance that you got this bug there's no reason for you to get this bug you know there's there's no source that we can we can we can we've investigated but we can't connect anything to why you got Mm -hmm. this bug and i I think for me i was probably happier going all right one in a billion chance what am i going to do with my life now how am i going to react um you know rather than oh you did this thing or you took this supplement or you um you're working your heart over time, playing rugby Saturday and Sunday. That's why it happened, you know. So, so it didn't make sense for me, like such a healthy person, to get something like this. So, mm-hmm. I think that's what really made me aware of okay, what is health? You know, maybe looking mm-hmm. trim and buff, and you know, I think I was 95 kilograms, and I didn't have any fat on me, and I great, you know, I, like I look ready to go and play some rugby, you know. But, but is that really healthy? You know, like is mm-hmm. eating that much protein really healthy? You know, those sorts of things. So. Um, yeah, for, for me, I think it was just really interesting to see that someone so healthy can have something like this happen. Um, we're always surprised when that happens and somebody who is, you know, physically fit or lean and active when they get really sick, it's, it's like, well, what was the cause? Why would this happen when they're for all intents and purposes, a healthy individual? 
Yes. Yeah. And I've got, I've got, there is, you know, family that, 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 that have had heart problems and everything, but you know, that they just, they couldn't work out how my heart would have been weak if I was playing rugby every Saturday, Sunday, how, yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, you've, you've got to take it in your stride. I think that's really important. Um, because mm-hmm. no one enjoys sitting in, well, I don't think anyone enjoys, I don't know, I don't enjoy sitting in my own wallowing, you know, like, and yeah, obviously there was times where I was, um, which I think everyone can, can play the victim. You know, there was probably times mm-hmm. where I played the victim or, you know, woe is me and poor me and all that sort of, all that sort of jazz, especially when I was in hospital and I really wanted to play rugby. You know, that was the one thing that was pulling me forward in my future, that I was going to play rugby one day, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was going to play the spring box somehow, you know, and I, and I had that future goal, you know, so um, that pulled me forward and then realizing that, you know, it'd be dangerous for me now with like this battery and everything to go and play rugby. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to accept that, you know, that, that was pretty crushing. So there were definitely <laughs> many moments where, you know, I'm, I wasn't very positive and I was very distraught and, and, and yeah, probably destroyed in ways. And I, and I mean, I mm-hmm. like to use terminology like the rebirth, you know, like I think, I think, think a lot of, you know, I've heard this term before, but the death and rebirth. And I think that happens a lot mm-hmm. in your life, you know, whether they're your belief systems, whether they're what you thought was reality or truth or um, or you, what your reality was, you know, I'm going to go and do these things in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to maybe put the death to something that, that's holding you back and rebirth something beautiful, you know, like a phoenix yeah. in your life that's going to yeah. get you there. Well, I mean, you could have gone the other way, right? You're only human. We're not always on or always positive or always grateful, right? It's what you do in the moments when you find yourself in depression or dealing with some sort of issue. How do you manage? How do you address that? How do you get yourself out of it, right? That's what matters, right? I tell folks just because you have these periods where you may be suffering from one thing or another, that's not your reality, you have a choice to adjust your perception and your reality. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You always have a choice, always how you react. Yes. So Kyle, again, I'm super grateful that you've shared your nuggets of wisdom. We've talked about your business. We've talked about the soul photography, as well as the message that you put out there. Which you remind me of Jay Shetty, to be honest, <laughs> with how you come oh, across cool. it and how you share. Hope you take that oh, as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I've got to check out more of his stuff, but um, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank yes, you. Definitely check out more of his stuff because you, my first interaction with you, uh, with your social media, where you have these videos that you're talking about, you know, different subject matter. That's who came into my mind. I was like, he reminds me. Of Jay oh, cool. Okay, I've got to check it out now. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see what you mean. <laughs> yes. Um, no, that's awesome. But yes, I am grateful that you shared your story, that you educated the audience, you know, on some of the challenges you faced with your health. And like I said, I learned, I'm sure they've learned more about heart health. But more importantly, you're doing so much with your life, so much positivity that you're putting forth despite that experience, you haven't let that uh, frame you or prevent you from living your best life. Yeah. 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 You, you've got to look at, you know, in spite of this, 
you know, how am I going to succeed? And, and, you know, how can I shift this? How can I shift the scars? How can I look at the scars down my chest every morning and go from looking at it as anxious and worried about my heart? And how can I look at it as, you know, this is inspiration for me to do great mm-hmm. things and can you do greater things and keep going and, and inspire other people who are out there, you know, and, 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 you know, cause there's, there's, there's so many more people that have gone through harder things than me. And there's so many more people that are going through harder things. And it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be a measurement. There could be people that are going through mm-hmm. a breakup right now. Um, and just totally distraught and need someone, someone's help, you know? So, so that, I think that's what it's about. It's, it's about us connecting, coming together and mm-hmm. you know, working with the light, you know, and really trying to bring light into each other's lives, you know? And I think that's, that's important for, for a lot of, a lot of years. I, I realized as well, you know, I will say this, it's the same thing with closure. I thought I had closure when I went over and saw my grandfather held his hand, cared for him up until he passed away. Um, mm-hmm. And even though that was such an emotionally volatile situation on both ends, I was so grateful that I was able to do that, you know, three years ago and, and, and um, a couple of years ago, sorry, um, and go and care for him. But I also it was hard saying goodbye to him and seeing him in such a weak state. So, you know, uh, six months later, 12 months later, you know, I had someone tell me, look, you've changed, you know, you think parts of you have changed and, and realizing that, mm-hmm. oh, even though mentally or I can feel like I'm okay, I'm, I'm good, there's something in my body, in my spirit, in my soul that I've got to maybe do some work on always. Um, mm-hmm. And with my heart, that was the same thing. You know, I thought I was good. I thought I was solid. I thought, you know, it's always, it's always my mental, okay, great, is good. But then i got to come back to my heart, my soul, and realize, okay, why am I getting anxious when I, have a cold shower and I'm thinking about my heart, I'm worried about my heart or I'm about to go for a run, I'm worried about my heart, you know, exploding or something. And and I had to realize that, oh, these little undercurrent thoughts are actually like not healthy. Like how do I kind of wean these out and change the script? Mm-hmm. You know, so even years, years and years later, being positive, going through all that, I still had those little anxiety thoughts, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, I, and my observation of me and other people's observation was, you know, oh, you're positive. Yeah, you're going for it. But, but you, you don't realize there's always work to be done on yourself. I think that's that's yes. the key message. That is indeed true. That is a very much key. So, Kyle, how can folks uh, connect with you, learn about your services, and just about you as an individual? Yeah, for sure. So um, the best place you can connect with me, I, I guess, see my ugly mug every day is um, – <laughs> or, or see my mug every day is um, at Kyle Spirides. So – um, I'm on Instagram, Carl Spirides, um, and obviously I post on Facebook as well, but YouTube is where the videos go up first. Um, and yeah, the, the book is coming out on carlspirides.com and yeah. And then my photography is soul gazing photography. So you can follow me on channels there and, and yeah, look forward to seeing you there and, and always comment, ask me any questions, always happy to communicate with people. Great. And we're going to put all the details guys in the podcast details and the YouTube details. I highly recommend that you guys go check him out. He has some beautiful photography and the message that he's putting out there is really positive. Again, like I said, reminds me of Jay Shetty and his (laughs) book is coming out too. So really excited to learn more about you and your experience through that book as well. Yes. Yeah. I'll send you a copy for sure. Oh, thank you. I'm all about supporting. So I always like buy people stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my thing no we have to support so our fellow entrepreneurs and, and and 
people that we interact and engage with authentically. So when I say that I'm going to be following your journey and checking out your book, I actually mean it. Okay. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. And then any last words you want to share with the audience? Yeah. I mean, for me now, I guess my biggest takeaway is realizing that in, you know, in every single heartbeat, I've got the decision, you know, Mm-hmm. Just whether it's deciding your destiny or deciding to um, succumb to, you know, like a victimhood thought, train of thought or a victor train of thought, you know. So mm-hmm. in every single heartbeat of your life, you know, that's a gift. You've got that heart that's pumping blood around your body. You know, obviously you've got the amazing brain. You've got, you've got so many organs, but just think of your heart and think of doing right by your heart, you know, because I, cause a lot of my health implications I also think connected to emotional side because there was a lot of emotional turmoil in my life and I was – cutting myself off and shutting myself off. And I was always pushing things down, you know, really, really great at doing that. And I was cutting myself off emotionally from things. And mm-hmm. I wasn't embracing my heart and embracing the strength that I might have to handle these things. So my message would be just like, you know, <laughs> I know there's a famous song about it, but just just tune into your heart, you know, really tune into your heart and connect with your heart and do things that are in your best interest and your future's best interest. You know, and, and and don't deny what your heart is saying, what your heart's communicating. Yes, that's a lovely message. I hope that those that are listening or watching, something in here has connected with you, that you've been informed and educated, and that you will support Kyle on his amazing journey. Thanks, Thanks again, Kyle, for being on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Evelyn. I appreciate it. Thank you. You are welcome. This was a great conversation. All right, guys. So that's a wrap. As I always say, preparation, accountability, execution, and resolve are keys to your success. Until next time. So as you know by now, we're all about informing and empowering women. Well, now there's the addition of the She Is Fab shop where there is empowered fashion, printables, journals, mugs, and face masks. Check it out at www.sheisfab.net. That way you can purchase something for the lady, woman, or girl in your life. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.